Well, we're in for a treat this morning as we wrap up this time of sabbatical. Um, John and Kay Grissom are members of Eastminster. If you're a 930 service attender, you've probably seen Kay singing in the choir. And John uh, is, uh, let me tell you a little bit about John, uh, one of our very own. Uh, raised in Emporia, Kansas, um, went off to seminary, pastored for 12 years in Indiana and also here in Kansas. Um, instrumental in, how many of you are familiar with Walk Through the Bible? Okay, so John was instrumental in training leaders to teach Walk Through the Bible in the former Soviet Union. Did that back in the 90s after the Soviet Union uh, fell. And um, just, I'm sure... I've heard a few of those stories, John. I'd love to hear more, really, about how all that went. And then if any of you are affiliated with Trinity Academy, you know that for the last 27 years, John has been teaching Bible and apologetics and personal finance. And I'm not sure I've forgotten the other things, but I'm sure there were other classes as well. A beloved member of the staff at Trinity Academy retired just this past year. John is, is uh, an excellent communicator, and we are delighted to have him speaking to us today. So John, would you come and share the Word of God with us? Boy, that came up fast. I sat down uh, expecting to work my way into this and suddenly I'm here. Um, since I've been a teacher for 28, 27, 28 years, I don't use a podium. So uh, if you don't mind, I'm going to move around. Uh, part of what I'd like to help you do is visualize. So we're going to use the stage to help visualize and think our way through. What you don't know, wink, wink, is how I got picked to speak on this last Sunday of the time off for Pastor Stan. What you didn't know is that the video crew has been going through videos of all of the services through the years, writing down your names. And all of your names, wink, wink, okay, were put on a slip of paper and put into a big barrel. And then someone reached into that barrel and chose who would be selected for this Sunday. You can all relax. My name, wink, wink, was selected. Well, I've appreciated the uh, involvement of, with East Minister for so many years, as he said. My wife has been involved in the choir I did a lot of Wednesday night services through the years. I've had the privilege of having many of your Eastminster kids. Um, many of them are now grown and married and have kids of their own, but uh, it's been a great experience to share that with you and their lives. And I, as I've read through the Bible, um, I have been fascinated by the number of people that are mentioned in the Bible who in many cases have no names. You know, we're familiar with Abraham and David and Saul and those individuals, 
But the Bible is filled with hundreds of individuals. Some of them are named and some of them are just described from where they lived or what their experience was. And while I have sometimes a difficult time identifying with the greatness and the faith of Abraham and David, I can certainly identify with these, what I often called insignificant individuals, but not insignificant to God. And so when Pastor Stan asked me if I would preach this final Sunday, I began to ask God because our theme has been to listen. And I thought about the beginning of the year and the year that is ahead of us and how that can be frightening sometimes because we don't know what the year has in store. There are good things and there are painful things. Our story today focuses on some of those insignificant individuals. Again, insignificant only in that they're not named, they're just introduced into the story. But I think what it tells us is that God cares about insignificant people. And while you may think that you are insignificant, God does not. Here's the story. It comes in 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 3. And it begins, Now there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. They said to each other, Why stay here until we die? If we say, We'll go into the city, the famine is there, we will die. If we stay here, outside the city, we will die. So let's go over to the camp of the Arameans and surrender. Now the Arameans were their enemy, and we'll find out a little bit more here in a moment about that. Let's go over to the enemy, their camp, and surrender. If they spare us, we will live. If they kill us, we will die. At dusk, they got up and went to the camp of the Arameans. When they reached the edge of the camp, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army. So that they said to one another, look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and the Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents and their horses and donkeys. They left the camp as it was and ran for their lives. Now, the men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp. They entered one of the tents and they ate and they drank. And then they took silver, gold, and clothes, and they went off and hid them. They returned and entered another tent and took some things from it and hid them also. Wow! Aren't we lucky? But then they said to each other, what we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news, and we are keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, 
punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. So they went and called out to the city gatekeepers and they told them, we went into the Aramean camp and no one was there, not a sound of anyone, only tethered horses and donkeys and the tents left just as they were. The gatekeeper shouted the news and it was reported in the palace. So let's kind of set ourselves into this story a little bit. As I said, I've been coming to Eastman's for a long, long time, and those of you who have been here for many, many years may remember a long time ago, over the Christmas time period, Eastminster hosted an opera. An opera? It was called A Mall and the Night Visitors. Does anybody remember that? Ah. <laughs> Yeah, now, Amal and the Night Visitors was composed by Giancarlo Menotti in 1951 when it was premiered. It was the first opera composed for television, and it was presented over the Christmas holiday on television in 1951. It's set in Bethlehem during the first century after the birth of Christ, and Amal is a little crippled boy who has big dreams and big visions, and he is sometimes lying, making stories up. Now, in this story, it is evening, and there's a knock at the door. And it's three visitors. Guess who they are? The wise men, yes, the wise men. So that's our story in the opera. It is a story of about this crippled boy and his family who are visited by these magi who are on their way to Bethlehem. So that was presented up here on stage. And it was all decked out with uh, the characters, the music, and down on the steps for mood setting were bales of hay. Now, as the opera progressed, the characters up here on stage went about their presentation in all of their excellence. But there was another night visitor that evening, other than the Magi. Because in these bales of hay, someone had failed to realize that there was a critter. And my wife and I were sitting out about five or six rows back here, and we could see. We could see the performers on stage, and we could see the bales of hay stacked on the stairs here. And out of one of those bales of hay, you suddenly, out of the corner of your eye, see a little movement. And a little mouse walks out just down below here and looks around. Where am I? What has happened to me? What do I do? And I think, uh, if I remember correctly, in my age I don't always remember correctly, but it seems to me that some people began to notice the little mouse because he's there going, where do I go? And he starts running and the audience begins to chuckle and giggle and gasp. And the mouse even made his way under the pews. And you could hear people going, Ooh, and lifting their feet. 
all totally oblivious to that are the people that are up here on stage. Can you imagine performing an opera wondering why people are laughing and rustling and giggling? This poor little mouse was frantic. You ever feel like that mouse? <laughs> Where am I? Where am I going? I have no idea how to get out of this situation. I have no idea what's ahead, what to expect. And we begin to panic and we begin to get nervous. So you have the performers up here on stage who are totally oblivious to that. They're involved in their circumstances. The little mouse is down here totally oblivious to the performances up on stage. He's only concerned about his circumstances. But out here in the audience, you can see the whole thing unfold. You have a bigger perspective of what's going on. Well, let's go back to our story. We have two scenarios going on. You have the lepers, and you have the Aramean camp. So, to understand the setting, I always tell my high school kids, you want to look at the context of the story. So, the context of the story is a little bit bigger, and in order to appreciate the story itself, let's take a look at the bigger context. First of all, we need to know that this takes place during the divided kingdom. Now, you may be familiar with Saul, David, and Solomon. They ruled over what was the United Kingdom of Israel. But following Solomon, the kingdom split into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom kept the name Israel. The southern kingdom took the name of Judah. We've been hearing a little bit about that over the, the past few months. That Stories have come up similar. Our story takes place in the northern kingdom of Israel, in the capital city called Samaria. Okay, so now that we understand the setting, let's look at the circumstances. In the city of Samaria, something has happened. This is a story of before and after. We are told what the current situation is, that's the before, and we're told the after experience. If you'd like to read the details, you can take uh, the passage, you go back to chapter 6, chapter 6, 2 Kings 6, verse 24, and it tells us that the king of Aram, the Arameans, had laid siege to the city of Samaria. And in laying siege to the city of Samaria, it lasted so long that the situation became desperate. Prices on even the simple things went up. Some things were not available on the shelves. No, I'm, I'm talking about the biblical story. You're thinking about going to the grocery store tomorrow. No, things had become so bad and so economically dire that the Bible gives us very clear to us, they don't necessarily make a lot of sense, but it's a way of saying things were very expensive and people couldn't afford it and people were doing desperate things to survive. Then the prophet Elijah comes into the story. And the prophet Elijah says to the king of Samaria, this is chapter 7, verse 1, right before our story. Hear the word of the Lord. 
This is what the Lord says about this time tomorrow. Oh, it took a long time to get really bad. But Elijah says, this time tomorrow, things are going to be so cheap, you won't believe it. In fact, the king... I, I, I can't believe this. Even if the Lord should open the floodgates of heaven, is this even possible to happen? And Elisha says, you will see it with your own eyes. Now let's go to the end of the story. The end of the story comes in chapter 8 after our little narrative. And it says this in verse 16. So the cost of flour, barley, and other items was so cheap. One day later, it tells us how cheap it is. That's our before and after. Unbelievably expensive. Elijah says, eh, tomorrow it's going to be cheap. And then it tells us. It was cheap. What does that lead you to ask? How did it happen? You were thinking that, right? Yeah, sure. How did it happen? I just told you when we read our story. Here's how it happened. There were four lepers at the city gate who were starving. And they got so desperate that they said, if we stay here, we're going to die. If we go into the city, they don't have any food either. We're going to die. But if we go over to the enemy, the people that have all the wealth... Maybe they'll have mercy on us and let us live, but if they don't, we'll die. What have we lost? So they are moved to go, and what happened? Here's the verse. If you walk out of here today and remember, no other verse. Leading into it, they got up, they went to the camp of the Arameans, when they reached the edge of the camp, no one was there. Why? For the Lord had caused. For the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots. Were there chariots? No. And horses. Had there been horses? No. And a great army. Had there been? No. And they said to one another, look, the king of Israel has hired. They made up excuses for what they were hearing. And they got up and they fled in the dusk and they abandoned their tents, their horses and donkeys. They left the camp as it was and all the food and all the jewelry and all the gold. And they fled. And in walked the four lepers. And when they shared the news with the king, the king didn't believe it. He said, it's probably a trick. So he sent someone to check it out. They came back and said, it's true. And suddenly this inrush of wealth meant there was plenty for everybody. And the prices dropped immediately, as Elisha had said. That's a marvelous story. But what does it have to do with you and me? Well, as I said, I'm kind of like those lepers. 
my life seems out of control sometimes. I don't have a lot of say in what happens. And I begin to worry and fret and get anxious. And I don't know what decisions to make. And I'm worried about making the wrong decision. But I'm failing to understand the point of this story. So let me introduce you to two theological terms or attributes of God. One of the first attributes of God that I believe this story introduces to us is God's transcendence. Transcendence means that God is above or beyond his creation. He created his creation, but he is above it. He is beyond it. And this includes time. This is the part that I have difficulty with. That God's transcendence means he is above and beyond time. See, I live in my world here, right here. To me, time is past and time is future. But if God is transcendent, it means he's what? He's here and at the same time he's over here because he transcends time. If that's all the further we went, we would be considered deists. But the Bible also tells us, as we know from Christmas time, that God descended to be involved in and with our lives. The word here is imminent. And because he cares about our now, and he cares about our then, he becomes an imminent God who gets involved in our lives and knows that there is something there that we may not know about, we may not understand, we may not even expect, but he's taking care of it. And when I get there, while I may not know what is going to be there, what can I know? That God has already been there. Boy, that's so encouraging on day one of 2023, isn't it? Because there's a lot of thens ahead of us. And while I don't know what they are, some of them will be painful. Some of them may be tragic. Some of them may be blessed. I don't know what they are, but I do know that God is already there. And as our passage said, the Lord had caused. Okay, take a look at the story. Can you see God's attributes? You have the lepers. You have the Arameans. How is God involved? Well, he's involved here, and he's involved over there, isn't he? And while the lepers are fretting over their circumstances, God is already at work over here, preparing the then for when the lepers will get there. 
boy, I need to know that. I need to be reminded of it. Because I spend a lot of time, like the mouse or the lepers, worrying about the decisions and the choices and the uncertainties of now. And I need to be reminded that God is out here in the audience, for, for example, and he sees the whole picture. And he is causing the circumstances that I will eventually experience. For the Lord had caused. It is important for me to remember these two things. In my now, I make decisions based on my finite knowledge and understanding of my current circumstances because I don't know the then. But God guides and directs me based on his transcendence and his imminent involvement in my life. And we could throw in another big word, his omniscience, his all-knowingness. Well, that's great to hear, John, but has it ever worked in your life? So let me share, I had one experience planned, but since we don't have another service, <laughs> and I'm doing pretty good on time here. Pastor Goolsby introduced my involvement over in the former Soviet Union. Uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to share one of those occurrences as well. So these are both in answer to your question. So how did this play out in your life? Back in 1983, I was pastor of a little church in Indiana. We'd been there for five years. And as with a lot of situations in our lives, we begin to be aware that perhaps it's time to move on. And so I became restless. My wife and I began to talk about the possibility of moving on. She was from Texas, I was from Kansas. We were in Indiana. We were living in a little community that was a farming community. It was just a little out of our upbringing and comfort zone. It was a great experience. But we began to talk about moving on. So here was our now. It's time to move on. So what did we do? I did the usual pastoral process. I began to contact my regional director. I began to send out resumes. Nothing. A lot of churches were interested, but they were just like the one we were in. So I began to get anxious and restless. And I remember going to dinner in Hebron, Indiana, outside of Valparaiso, for those of you who are familiar, at a little restaurant. My wife and I were discussing this uneasiness and what did God have for us and why wasn't anything coming uh, about. And my wife looked at me across the table and she said, maybe God wants us to leave before he will tell us where we're going. You've gotta be kidding. You do not do that. 
Can you imagine the anxiety level I had? Are you kidding me? I, I'm a husband. I've got two little girls. I've got to financially support them. You're going to say, let's cut the financial purse strings, move back to Kansas, because it's the only place I knew, without a job? And she said, Abraham did it. <laughs> Didn't Abraham have to leave Ur? and come to Haran before God opened up the plan to go into Canaan? Don't you hate it when that person is right like that? Oh. But it, it, it pricked a portion of my heart, and I, I knew that was true. All right. If I believe in a transcendent God, then he must already know. I just have to step out in faith. So here was my situation. Little town in Indiana. The then was here in Kansas. And what I didn't know is that there was a church here in the Kansas area who had been looking for a pastor for months and months and months. They had gone through 50 or more applications and could not find the person that they wanted. The area regional minister wasn't helping them. And they were in despair. What are we going to do? You see... God's working in both situations. So we left Indiana, we moved back here to Kansas, and within a matter of about a month, we were connected with this church. We went to the interview and came away saying, I didn't know there was a church like this even out there. We, we went to the cafeteria that used to be in the malls, Town East Mall, we're sitting at the table and we're talking about the interview saying, that's an unbelievable church, that is an incredible church, it's exactly what God wants. What I didn't know was that in the booth right next to us was somebody from the church. And they heard us talking about this wonderful church, they went home and they said, we've lost him. He's got another offer from some incredible church. <laughs> We were there for five years, and it was a beautiful experience. Really, for us, it was a healing experience. That's situation number one. So let's go back to 1991. The former Soviet Union has collapsed, and Ukraine has now become a separate country, doing as you can expect, anything they can to break away from the power of the Soviet Union that had been imposed upon them. I had been at another church. This is some 10 years later, 10 or 12 years later. I had been at another church and had been dismissed. And I was going through the process again of looking for a church. Again, nope. Nope, you're too qualified, you're not qualified enough, we've already got somebody. And I was working with Walk Through the Bible for part-time work, and Walk Through the Bible became involved with other organizations like Campus Crusade, 
over in the former Soviet Union. And we watched, I was down in Dallas, I watched a video. We need instructors who would be willing to go to the former Soviet Union countries and introduce walk through the Bible. Have you had those experiences? You almost want to look down to see if anybody else can see it. I said, you've got to be kidding. Why would anybody want to go over there? I'm not a missionary. I've never done missionary work. But I was so moved. I called my wife. And I said, I think I know where God might want us. But I can't tell you right now. Because I don't know the details. Just be praying. And I hung up. I can't imagine what she was thinking really. But when I got home, uh, you know, the usual welcome back. Da, 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 and uh, she said, well, are you going to tell me? And I said, okay, I have a feeling that God might want us involved in the Soviet Union, former Soviet Union. And she said, I figured it was something like that. Because after she hung up, she said, what is it, God? And she said, I figured it's probably someplace like Russia. Here was my now. There was part of my then. God had already been working there. But the story expands because um, a friend of mine who worked with the organization, Rich, he and I were paired together, and we were to be going to Kiev, Ukraine for two weeks. Our purpose was to find churches, find pastors. Now remember, they didn't have phone books with churches. They didn't have address of churches. The churches had been destroyed or turned into museums. Churches were groups of people like home groups that met in homes or schools. You had to know about these things. I didn't know about them. How do you find these things? But we were headed over there to spend two weeks. Our purpose was to translate the walk through the Bible materials into Russian and Ukraine put the booklets together so that we would have something to do, find people who were qualified and train them to teach the seminars, and in the meantime, put on a couple of demonstration seminars at churches to show them what it was like. <laughs> okay, Rich is going to go with me. And Rich was all gung-ho and confident. So we arrived in Kiev, we checked into our hotel, and that first night, as we're lying in bed, we would had to have the windows open because it was in the summertime. There were bugs all over the ceiling because the windows had to be open. And as we turned out the lights, the bugs began to fall from the ceiling, and you could hear them plop, plop, plop. And we're talking to each other, nervous. And I said to Rich, so Rich, how many of these kind of mission trips have you gone on? There was a long pause. And Rich said, John... I thought you'd gone on these trips. <laughs> he said, I've never gone on one of these trips before, and I only agreed to go because you seemed so enthusiastic about it. And I said, Rich, I've never gone on one of these things in my life before either, and I only agreed to go because you seemed enthusiastic about it. And he says, I think we better pray. That was our now. <laughs> Two weeks later, when we left, we looked back incredibly amazed at what had been accomplished. Because while we were worrying about the circumstances, God had begun 
to cause. And one of the individuals he caused was a young boy named Karl Marx. And Karl Marx became our translator who translated the biblical material into Russian for us. God was in charge of the now. He was in charge of the then. And when we got to our then, God had already been involved. The Lord had caused. So it's January 1st, 2023. That's our now. That's your now. Today, tomorrow, this next week, this next month, this next year, that's your then. And none of us has any clear idea of what then has in store. But what do we know? That God is already there causing so that when we arrive there, God has already taken care. It doesn't, I don't think this passage is promising that everything's going to be hunky-dory, that there's going to be no pain, that everything's going to work out wonderful, because we know that's not always true. But what I do believe it says is that God is there, and he's not surprised. And he will bring you through to that situation, which may amaze and surprise you at his involvement. So as you leave this building today and step out into 2023, as an individual, as a family, or even us as a church, while we do not know what the then may hold, we do know that God in his transcendence is already there, already causing and waiting for us to arrive. Let's pray. Father, I need to be reminded of this and it would be nice to be able to say that I've got it all figured out and I never worry. And that would be untrue. It would be nice to say that I will never worry. That also will be untrue. But perhaps, Lord, what we can remember are some words written by William Williams. And may these words be our words that we walk out into 2023 exclaiming, Guide me, O thou great Jehovah. Pilgrim through this barren land, I am weak, but thou art mighty. Hold me with thy powerful hand. Bread of heaven, bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Feed me till I want no more. Open now the crystal fountain whence the healing stream doth flow. Let the fire and cloudy pillar lead me all my journey through. Strong deliverer, strong deliverer, be thou still my strength and shield. Be thou still 
my strength and shield. When I tread the verge of Jordan, bid my anxious fears subside. Death of death and hell's destruction, land me safe on Canaan's side. Songs of praises, songs of praises, I will ever give to thee. I will ever give to thee. Amen.